This show is made possible by members and donors at bestofleft.com and also gotomeeting.com, green technology helping to reduce the need for business travel. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, On the Media, The Rachel Maddow Show, La Show, The Young Turks, The Jimmy Dore Show, The Progressive, and The Daily Show with a bonus video clip for our iPhone app users from The Colbert Report. Here is your first quote. She is not a viable candidate for any office in this state. She could not be elected dog catcher. That was a Republican Party chairman talking about Christine O'Donnell. She upset the GOP favorite in the primary for the Senate seat where? Delaware? Yes, indeed, in Delaware. The Tea Party wanted the GOP to go more to the right, and they oversteered. It's the political equivalent of a hungry senior citizen trying to park at the Denny's and just going straight through the window. (laughs) So the new GOP nominee for the Senate in Delaware, Ms. O'Donnell, has spent the last decade or so running for office and going on various TV shows to express a variety of opinions. Primarily, her opposition to most kinds of sex. Extramarital, premarital, homosexual, and the kind of sex you have with yourself. She's against that. She says now, this is all irrelevant. She wants to be judged in her positions. Her position is standing straight up, fully dressed, her hands at her sides, wearing oven mitts. How is she going to fit in with, like, the the old boy culture of the Senate? You know, we imagine her walking up to Senator David Vitter, for example, and saying, I want to talk to you about chastity. And Vitter says, oh, I love chastity, but she's too expensive. By the way, I want to say uh, this about uh, Christine O'Donnell. Not all of her uh, professed opinions are about sex. Uh, She also does not believe in evolution. (laughs) Without sex, really, there can be no evolution. Exactly. Uh, And she also, she said this a few years ago, she fears scientists have already cloned mice with, quote, fully functioning human brains. (laughs) They came in third in the polls. There you are. (laughs) I just feel like and here's Russ Murphy, founder of the Delaware 912 Patriots at Christine O'Donnell's victory rally. Hello, Patriots. How are we doing tonight? I guess most of y'all know who Carl Rove is. About a year ago, Carl Rove came to Delaware for a Republican thing, and he asked for a private meeting with the Tea Party groups, the grassroots groups, and he tried to convince us how we needed to get behind the candidate that was electable. And I said, sir, with all due respect, no one is going to tell us how to take care of business. That is the people. And you have spoken. Thank you. There's a word that's overused every political season, and I'm going to use it again. 
narrative. What is the prevailing narrative? The answer is usually determined by pundits and politicians after testing the political wind, like Karl Rove speaking to Fox's Sean Hannity about O'Donnell on election night. It does conservatives little good to support candidates who, at the end of the day, while they may be conservative in their public statements, do not evince the characteristics of rectitude and truthfulness and sincerity and character that the voters are looking for. Rove knows how to count votes, and polls suggest that roughly 25% of Americans support the Tea Party movement, roughly half of the 46% of the people who voted for John McCain in 2008. But the Tea Party says it represents the majority, and after this primary night, the Tea Party wrested control of the narrative. That's good enough for commentators like Fox's Megyn Kelly and Lars Larson. They put an honest-to-God conservative in, and then you see the Delaware party say we're not going to support our party's nominee. Thank goodness John Cornyn at the national level has said that the national party will be supporting her. She's well, not after a nut, he got, she's After not he a got loon. probably thousands of phone calls from angry Republicans who said you better Abs- reverse absolutely. your position. The mainstream media, and let's concede that Fox is part of it, jawboned about the power of the people as evinced by the Tea Party wins on Tuesday. Rush Limbaugh summed up the plot line, his usual plot line actually, but this time it really took off. It really is Washington versus the country. I can't tell you, my email started going nuts. Why did it take off? To be sure, Limbaugh provided a megaphone to amplify the message, and it reverberated on Fox, articulated here in a message from Sarah Palin to her political progeny. Get out there, speak to the American people, speak through Fox News. But the buzz over the Tea Party is not, at its heart, a Fox or talk radio creation. The midterm election is evidence of the exponentially growing power and influence of social media. As you'll hear, in a world of Twitter and Facebook, tech-savvy ideologues can do what presidents have always dreamed of. Ignore the filter of the so-called mainstream media. The Tea Party, of course, is not a registered political party, and most of its members vote as Republicans. But even so, the movement takes priority, and its adherents proudly proclaim their freedom from top-down directives. It is no surprise, therefore, that Twitter has become the go-to method of communication for many Tea Partiers. Ken Vogel covers the Tea Party for Politico. Ken, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be with you, Bob. Now, in addition to Twitter, Tea Partiers use all kinds of online media to organize themselves. Give me a sense of the landscape. Well, they definitely use Facebook, Ning, which is a lesser-known social network, but is really the homepage for a lot of these local Tea Party groups. You have huge email lists. Then you have national groups like Tea Party Patriots, which is really just a coalition of local groups, and Freedom Works, run by Dick Armey, the former House Majority Leader, that have upwards of 500,000 emails on their address list. You have Internet-based free conference call services that are used to hold weekly conference calls that routinely attract sometimes hundreds of local Tea Party organizers. These social media are very much lattice-like networks, non-hierarchical, grassroots, interconnected, etc. Is that a coincidence? It's not at all, Bob. They really cling 
fiercely to this idea that they're leaderless. They've started embracing and recommending to each other this business book called The Starfish and the Spider. And it has a really attractive thesis, which is that poorly funded groups loosely organized around basic shared ideas can change society, often by outmaneuvering more top-down structures. And the use of social media plays very strongly into that idea. There's a lot of mythology that courses through these various Tea Party social networks, let's say the subject of the president's birth, for example. Does this kind of communication structure encourage people to constantly revalidate their own misinformation? There's certainly an element of that. You see it with the death panels, an idea that Sarah Palin put forth. However, I don't think that you see that any more so in the Tea Party than you do in any other social media-based communities, where I do think you see a significant disadvantage in the Tea Party of having this decentralized social media-based structure is infighting. These groups just split off from one another. Everybody fighting for their own version of ideological purity. There's certainly some element of that, but you also see it over strategy, whether they should endorse candidates or not endorse candidates, at what level they should get involved. And you do see a fair amount of petty personality-based fighting as well. Many of these folks are brand new to politics, and having this autonomy gives them encouragement to be their own leader. Once upon a time, Obama supporters were insurgents coalescing around various social media. Do you see, based on the kind of online networks that Tea Partiers have assembled, the possibility that they could repeat the Obama magic? Certainly the Obama campaign had a huge presence on social media. However, it was still blessed by the candidate, by the Democratic National Committee, and there was a very well-funded infrastructure there that was able to channel this online activism into real solid boots-on-the-ground traditional political activities. We don't see that with the Tea Party. However, it's worth pointing out that that network that Obama built has lost a lot of its energy. So there's a lesson there for Tea Partiers. One of the things you've noticed as an advantage of this kind of lattice work communications is the ability for Tea Partiers to police themselves. Tell me about that. The activists and the big thinkers who are charting strategy for the Tea Party movements are confident that the social network will sort of rise to the challenge of rooting out elements that they deem to be casting a pale over the entire movement. For instance, you saw an element to cast out the birthers. There was a real effort to brand them as persona non grata within the Tea Party movement. And then after Christine O'Donnell won the Republican nomination in Delaware, there was a huge pylon on none other than Karl Rove. One of the things that really jumps out at me when I, when I look at these various feeds is the extent to which Tea Partiers are motivated by this us-against-the-world mentality. They thrive on being counted out. And the groundswell of energy lashing out at Karl Rove and some other Republican leaders who had suggested that they might not be inclined to support Christine O'Donnell probably did have a role in compelling some of these Republican leaders to come out and express their support, even though literally hours beforehand they were uh, expressing some misgivings about her candidacy. Falling in love again. Ain't nothing I can do. Falling in love. 
If you're like most Americans, you like to collaborate with others to work on projects as a way to get others to do your work for you. The downside of this is that you would normally have to interact with these people in person to show them exactly how you'd like your work to be done. Well, now with GoToMeeting, there's no need to ever see another person again. Using GoToMeeting's easy-to-use software, you can meet online using audio, instant chat, and screen sharing to efficiently and effectively delegate tasks away from yourself without anyone knowing you haven't shaved or kept up on virtually any personal hygiene in days. You can experience your first 45 days of this kind of bliss by visiting GoToMeeting.com and using the promo code PODCAST. That's GoToMeeting.com, promo code PODCAST, for this special free 45-day trial. Falling in love again But first, when a political candidate comes from outside mainstream politics and that candidate gets nominated to represent a major party and part of that candidate's appeal is that they come from outside mainstream politics, there's, there's now a well-established process of making that candidate over subtly to make them seem more mainstreamy for the general election. We saw that process in action with the post-primary scrubbing of Republican Senate candidate Sharon Engel of Nevada. We saw that in the shutdown all media access scrubbing of Rand Paul. And we're now seeing the same process at work with Christine O'Donnell of Delaware. If you go to Christine O'Donnell's campaign website right now, here's what you'll find. Victory in Delaware! It's a short article thanking the people of Delaware for making Christine O'Donnell the Republican nominee for U.S. Senate. If you look closely, though, you will see that the date on this article is September 11, 2010. The problem with that is that the Republican primary that Christine O'Donnell won did not happen until three days after that, on September 14th. So Christine O'Donnell's website is declaring victory in the primary three days before she won the primary. Spooky. How to explain the discrepancy? It could, of course, be the result of little ho hocus pocus, maybe? Eye of newt, toe of frog? Um, the more likely explanation is that right after Christine O'Donnell won the Republican Party nomination, her official website essentially came down. The whole thing got replaced by this page, which prominently featured a big Donate Now button, and that was it. That was all that existed about her online for a few days until the new Christine O'Donnell website was unveiled. And when the new Christine O'Donnell website got unveiled, boy, things sure did look different. On the old campaign website, for example, there was this big list prominently displayed on the endorsements page. All sorts of Tea Party groups and individual activists who had officially endorsed Christine O'Donnell's bid for the United States Senate. The shiny new endorsements page looks a little different now. Scrolling through, you can find that very nice, giant, soft-focused picture of Republican Senator Jim DeMint. Uh, also, there's one of Sarah Palin there, too. Uh, but many of the groups that are listed on the original endorsements page are no longer listed on the new one. You can dig around on the site and still find them, but they are not listed on the official endorsements page anymore. Who are they? Who's been moderate makeovered out of the Christine O'Donnell campaign? Well, there's this guy. My advice to the president is, in two good words, shut up! Woo! That fellow was uh, Herb Denenberg, keynote speaker at a recent event for the Independence Hall Tea Party Pack. 
an organization prominently listed on Christine O'Donnell's old endorsements page, but not on the new one. Here's some of the Independence Hall Tea Party Pack's other magnificent work. We will take a literal fight to every street and Capitol building in every state. We, the people of the United States, will gladly and with honor replenish that tree of liberty with the blood of new patriots in order to sustain that shade of liberty which protects ourselves and our posterity from the destructive heat of tyranny. When he said we will take a literal fight, he was contrasting that with a more metaphorical, like political fight. He means blood, literal, literal fight and blood. So um, that's the group that didn't quite make the cut anymore on the new Christine O'Donnell website. One of them. Another group that got axed from her new endorsements page is a group called Catholic Families for America. See, here they are on the old Christine O'Donnell page, misspelled as Catholic Families of America. Apparently, as part of its endorsement process, Catholic Families for America has candidates fill out a four-page questionnaire. The one for 2010 U.S. House and Senate candidates includes questions like, do you promise to advocate that judges who attempt to establish secular atheism as the state religion should be removed from office? Also, will you vote to protect the sovereignty of Latin American countries such as Honduras against takeovers by Castro Chavez leftists who are aided and abetted by our own president? So yeah, for some reason, Catholic Families for America did not make it under the new and improved Christine O'Donnell endorsements page. We called them today to ask their reaction to the omission. They told us in part, quote, we were not aware of the change on Miss O'Donnell's website, but we are also not concerned about it. Campaigns make decisions, or sometimes simple computer mistakes, occasionally. Uh, we also asked them if they could provide us with a copy of Christine O'Donnell's completed questionnaire. Uh, we will let you know if they do that. And if we get that questionnaire, we will definitely let you know how she said she feels about protecting Honduras from Barack Obama's pending invasion. But Catholic Families for America shares something in common with a few of the yet further groups, yet more groups, who have been purged from the new Christine O'Donnell endorsements page. That organization, that Catholic Families Group, as well as the Susan B. Anthony List Candidate Fund and the Concerned Women PAC, they're all anti-abortion groups. The way that the conservative resurgence has been marketed this year is as if it is all about fiscal conservatism. It's all about cutting government spending, getting the federal deficit under control, shrinking the size of the federal government, and putting all those divisive social issues behind behind them, uniting Republicans and conservatives on these fiscal issues and not dealing with those divisive social issues anymore. That's what the Republican comeback has been framed as. But that is not at all what we're seeing right now from the crop of Republican candidates who are getting elected as part of this conservative resurgence. As we mentioned last week, Christine O'Donnell is one of the many Republican Senate candidates this year who are moving one traditionally hot button issue way to the right of where it has ever been before. Yes, there have been lots of anti-abortion Republican Senate candidates over time. The whole party, almost without exception, wants to make abortion illegal. But this year, there are five candidates for Senate who want to ban it without exceptions for rape or incest. Christine O'Donnell in Delaware, Sharon Engel in Nevada, Ken Buck in Colorado, Rand Paul in Kentucky, Joe Miller in Alaska, all want the government to intervene 
if a woman gets pregnant because of rape or incest. They want the government to intervene to force a woman or a girl in that situation to give birth to the rapist's baby or to their relative's baby, no matter what she or the girl or woman's doctor wants. The culture war is back. Culture war issues are back in Republican politics there, even this year, even though everybody said they weren't. And they're back in a big way. The right is now starting to admit it amongst themselves, even as the Beltway media has failed so far to catch up. We do not live in a world where an American leader can just focus on the financial ledger. A political party that would govern this great nation must be able to handle more than one issue at a time. We must work to create jobs and protect innocent human life and defend traditional marriage. <laughs> to those who say that marriage is not relevant to our budget crisis, I say you would not be able to print enough money in a thousand years to pay for the government that you would need if the family continues to collapse. To those who say we should focus on cutting spending, I say, okay, let's start by denying all federal funding for abortion at home and abroad. Republican Congressman Mike Pence of Indiana, who won the presidential straw poll at the Values Voter Summit in Washington this weekend, saying essentially, you want to talk fiscal conservatism? Okay, let's say that abortion is a fiscal issue then. Sure, why not? These terms otherwise have no meaning. At the risk of stating the obvious to everyone who doesn't work in media, what is going on on the right right now is not about fiscal conservatism. It is culture war all over again. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to have to choose as a nation between the homosexual agenda and freedom because the two cannot coexist. Every advance... Every advance of the homosexual agenda comes at the expense of liberty, particularly religious liberty. The homosexual agenda and freedom cannot exist. In the last great era of Republican culture wars, it was the then Vice President of the United States, Dan Quayle, waging war on the TV show Murphy Brown for being a bad example of single motherhood. Remember that? It was Pat Buchanan's podium-pounding, blood-curdling call for culture war at the 1992 Republican convention. It was Republicans like Jesse Helms saying that AIDS is God's punishment on people who are gay because they are gay. It may be 2010 now and not 1994, but the same folks, a lot of them at least, are still around. And the same tactics are still being used. In 1994, when George W. Bush defeated Ann Richards to become the governor of Texas, he did it with the help of a whisper campaign about gays and lesbians surrounding Ann Richards. So you know, of course, Ann Richards must be secretly gay. Flash forward to 2010 and Christine O'Donnell's effort to defeat Republican Mike Castle. Mike Castle, who's suddenly besieged by rumors from folks connected to Christine O'Donnell that he's secretly gay. I think that that's a very tacky approach. I never said that Mike Castle was gay. I don't endorse putting out rumors that Mike Castle is gay. Are we talking about those rumors that Mike Castle is gay? Who said Mike Castle is gay? Did you say Mike Castle is gay? I didn't say Mike Castle is gay. Where might you have heard that Mike Castle is gay? 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 Have you heard that? And it's not just the same tactics being used right now in many cases. In many cases, it is the same exact people using the exact same tactics.
When the world looks at America these days, all too often they see a moral swamp, a culture promoting sex and violence. No wonder our enemies think they can defeat us. This has been the equivalent of a cultural oil spill. It's not sea otters and ducks that are washing up on shore, covered with gunk. It is our kids. We have to have the courage to tell the truth, and we have to have the courage to act on the truth. Our elites are wrong on the basic values that define America. We are allowing a brutalization and a degradation of children in this country, a destructiveness. Bureaucrats and politicians in Washington think they should decide what kind of light bulb we use, what kind of toilets we flush. They'll buy your teenage daughter an abortion, but they won't let her buy a sugary soda in a school's vendoring, vending machine. A lot of the money that we're spending goes to things that we know will not prevent AIDS, but indeed will continue to spread the disease. When a lot of our money goes to distribute condoms in high schools, when a lot of our money goes to distribute material that is literally pornographic. The culture wars are back. In some cases, they never went away. So people got jobs doing other things, raising money on culture war issues, doing some other stuff around politics, keeping a hand in. Now they've just been promoted to high-ranking electoral candidates again, trading prayer in schools for mosques, trading Bill Clinton's a drug dealer for Barack Obama's a socialist, trading abortion restrictions for even more restrictive abortion restrictions, trading the gay agenda for the gay agenda, trading don't ask, don't tell for don't ask, don't tell. The culture wars are back. Someone hide the National Endowment for the Arts. Quick. It's all the same. And I'll take you for who you are. If you take me for everything. Do it all over again. It's all the same. Hours slide and days go And in between it always seems to evolve Yeah, you just tell him to F himself with a barbed hockey stick. Hello, sir. Well? What's up? Where's the spark? Uh -huh. We agreed the key in this part of the election cycle was to not lose the spark. Mm -hmm. I see zero spark. Yeah. And I know. Pod of spark. Yeah. All due respect, I don't think your father needs Spark right now. It's you. I'm sorry. I went uh, French on you. Yeah, well, I won't tell Bob Woodward if you don't. <laughs> now what? Why'd you text me? I was in the middle of everything. Well, I texted you, first of all, because I can. Because no matter what else happens, I will go down in history as the first president with a smartphone. Okay, good. We'll make sure Mount Rushmore has one behind your ear. And then second, second, because I went out this week... Did my town hall meeting. Mm -hmm. I did my speeches. Mm -hmm. I think I kind of had the spark. Michelle, to the contrary, notwithstanding. And yet, we haven't moved the needle at all. I mean, Fox News has me at 37%. Sir, mm -hmm. what have we agreed on every time this comes up? I forget. That's the kind of mood I... If San Francisco has a frickin' earthquake that's a 10 on the Richter scale, it's not going to move the needle on Fox News. Mm-hmm. Richter doesn't go above eight. 
You're not going to make a call. You can be on Jeopardy within an hour. <laughs> Look, honestly, uh-huh. I'm juggling a whole different set of balls right now. Right? Right. I'm, I'm focusing on stuffing Jesse Jackson Jr.'s cojones in his mouth and making him think it's goose liver pate. But you want literally my two cents on this? I mean, I thought I was fired up this week. I, I, I just didn't feel ready to go, I guess. Okay. You've got a freaking cabinet with all the TV appeal of roadkill. Mm. You've got no surrogates worth squat. It's all on you. And, sir, mm. Rama Graham for you, sir. You're still a great salesman. You're just burdened with pushing a crap bag product. Mm. You heard that woman at the town hall. Mm. She still likes you. Mm-hmm. She just doesn't like what you're selling. What? By administration? Democratic Congress? Patience. Frickin' patience. Hey, I'm still the president. I'm entitled to an answer you're right selling, here, right? You're selling patience to a freaking country that doesn't do anything like patience. You'd do better pitching Botox to a effing baboon. Mm. I don't know. I do. Mm. The economists say the recession is over and the jobs are a lagging indicator. People without jobs don't feel like any kind of effing indicator. You're telling them to be patient. No. You got a freaking war that's going south because the Taliban are going north. You're telling the voters to be patient. Although, in fairness, we're still sticking to the July 2011 deadline for starting the removal of, you know, something. Oh, speaking of which, give me a second. Darcy, uh, please get me Bob Gates. Look, Mr. O, this is no skin off the top of my anything, but patience sounds like something Jimmy Carter sold. What did Reagan push when the economy was in the freaking toilet? He was Mr. Sunshine and Optimism. He was the recovery. Or at least he played one on TV. Mm. Hold on. Mr. President, it's Bob Gates. Hi, uh, Bob. Rom's here with me. For the moment. I know the feeling. Hi, Rom. Uh, yes, Mr. President, I left a, uh, a budget meeting. What's... I'll tell you what's up, Bob. Your people, from General Petraeus on down are leaking all over the place that our December Afghanistan review is going to be a review in name only. Well, I, I thought that was a pretty fair approximation to where we left it. So did I, but exactly what's supposed to happen if, let's say, the President of the United States wants to change his mind and have a real review? You know, I'm, I'm being boxed in by your guys. It has to stop. Pronto-ish. Ish. Mr. President, hmm. I'm... Uh... I'm trying to ram some budget discipline down this building's throat before I leave. No, I know. What you're asking for amounts to a pretty heavy lift, especially since uh, a lot of your people seem to have leaked all over Bob Woodward how much they don't believe in a war or my guys are are trying to fight for you. Mm -hmm. Well, you've got a point. And how you wrote your own 16-page policy for my guys because you didn't trust them not to expand the mission. Yeah, well, see, I thought that made me look pretty damn engaged. Oh. All right. So, do you guys need me to put it in writing that they better not leak or it's General McChrystal time for? Yes. Mr. President, mm-hmm. I'm I'm not a betting man, no. but the betting men in this building think Stanley McChrystal's the final general that uh, you can afford to fire. Hmm. What is it, sort of uh, seven to three type odds? Heavier. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sir, if, if I may, mm-hmm. when December comes... And if you want to have a, a real review, just blame it on conditions on the ground. That's code for my guys screwed up. They'll get the message. You think? 20 to 1. Okay, Bob. Thanks. See, this is why you're selling a bad effing product. What are you talking about? You think you can sell patience because you've got some. Oh. Either that or you just got rolled over by a freaking outgoing member of your chicken scat cabinet. Oh. I don't know, Brom. If 
You know, like everybody who's quitting on me right around now is barreling down the lane at me. Don't you think? I don't know, sir. Ask Jesse freaking Jackson freaking Jr. You know, nice work correcting the quotes in your rug. You think somebody around here could fact check historic quotes? Look, think about it. You don't have to be right. No. You just have to freaking sell freaking Sonny. Hey, David Pakman here, host of the nationally syndicated Midweek Politics with David Pakman. If you're anything like me, you're a regular listener to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with Jay Tomlinson. If you like that, I want to invite you to check out my show, Midweek Politics with David Pakman. Not only will you hear the best of the left, but you'll hear some of the worst of the right, including some of the craziest bigots and racists you've ever seen. But don't worry, I don't agree with them. Check out midweekpolitics.com, check out my show, continue listening to Best of the Left podcast, and even consider becoming a member of the Midweek Politics politics membership program. There's an interesting phenomenon now that people have noticed, the pollsters obviously have noticed. They're getting two really starkly different numbers when they ask uh, the same question of two subsets of people, okay? So what's the question? Hey, are you going to vote for a Democrat or a Republican? Easy. For House races, Senate races, etc. Generic matchups. When they ask registered voters, it comes out to almost a tie. So hey, what's, where's the big Republican advantage? Democrats basically tied with the Republican. But when they ask likely voters, not just registered voters, but likely voters, the Republicans have anywhere between a five to ten point advantage, which is gigantic. Now, what does that show you? That shows you that the Rahm Emanuel strategy was 100% wrong. His strategy was, oh, don't worry about the liberals. The, and I'm using his word here. They're retarded. They'll never figure out our strategy. Our strategies pretend to be progressive, especially around election time. And then go cut corporate deals. And then we take the corporate money, and we prevent the Republicans from taking it, and then we have all this money, and we use it towards the election. And, you know, and where are the liberals going to go? <laughs> they're going to vote for us anyway. Oh, what, they're not coming to vote? Huh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, you didn't, did you, Rob? And that's exactly what's gone wrong. Rob Emanuel's brilliant strategy, totally flailing, because people are not going to come out to vote. Because they're not excited. Why were we excited about Obama in the beginning? He said, change, change. We're not going to let these guys rob us blind anymore. We're not going to let the lobbyists dictate what the laws are. He comes in, he lets the lobbyists dictate what the laws are, and then is shocked to find out that people aren't excited to show up for a midterm election. I'm waiting for an apology from Rahm Emanuel. I mean, it's clear as day. These numbers are stark, they're obvious, and I don't know anyone with any political sense in the country that can disagree. The reason you don't have excitement among the Democrats is because you didn't actually try for change. So your strategy of trying to trick people into thinking you were progressive, but then actually not deliver, did not work. Now, when we say that, they say, oh, you're depressing voter turnout. I'm not depressing voter turnout. You are. What do you want me to do? A lot of the people say, oh, no, no, I know that's true. But hey, you know what? Uh, I'm going to carry Barack Obama and Rahm Emanuel's water. Oh, believe me, golly gee willikers, they did such great change. 
Look, look at the drug deal. I always come back to the drug deal. There's a million examples, because that, but that's the most obvious one. We had a worse drug deal under Obama than we did under Bush. Bush said, hey, the government is not allowed to negotiate with the drug companies, with the pharmaceutical companies. Obama ran against us and said, how outrageous. Came in, did the same exact deal, right? Uh, Bush said, hey, you can't import drugs from outside the country because Canada is so dangerous. Obama ran against that, did the same exact deal. Now, why is Obama's worse? Because he extended their patents for 12 years. So the drug companies have a bigger monopoly under Obama than they did under Bush. Now, you think we're stupid, right? You think we're retarded, in, again, in Rahm Emanuel's words, and that we weren't going to figure it out. Guess what? The country figured it out. And you got no one to blame but yourself. You know, Barack Obama had a town hall meeting on Monday, which I was uh, lucky enough to wake up in time to see. Um, so, Barack Obama, but you know, the thing, I don't know if you guys remember. Do you have that in Kenya? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when uh, George Bush would go on his uh, tours around the country and they would have these hand-picked audiences mm -hmm. and it's people who just show up to kiss his ass and, oh, thank you for taking my question and I'm so, mm -hmm. thank God you're my president. And Barack Obama did the same thing. So he has this hand-picked audience. He goes in and then this lady, it's a, right in his wheelhouse, goes up and here she has a question. Um, I am a chief financial officer for a veteran service organization, AMBETS, here in Washington. I'm also a mother. I'm a wife. I'm an American veteran. And I'm one of your middle-class Americans. Oh, you know, again, another just another hand-picked yeah. ass-kisser. Right down the middle. Oh, how boring. What do you have to say? Go ahead. And quite frankly, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted of defending you, defending your administration, right. defending the mantle of change that I voted for, right. and deeply disappointed with where we are right now. Do I really even need to play anymore? I mean, I should get to it. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, you're great. You're great. You're great. I, I've been told that I voted for a man who said he was going to change things in a meaningful way for the middle class. I'm one of those people, and I'm waiting, sir. I, I'm waiting. I, I don't feel it yet. And I thought, well, it wouldn't be a great man. I would feel it in some small measure. I have two children in private school, uh, and the financial recession has taken an enormous toll on my family. Uh, my husband and I have joked for years that we thought we were well beyond the hot dogs and beans era of our lives. Right. Uh, but quite frankly, it's starting to knock on our door and, and ring true that that might be where we're headed again. Oh, the sycophantous, obsequious <laughs> bullshit. I am sick of this. And quite frankly, Mr. President, I need you to answer this honestly. Is this my new reality? Oh, okay. So, so nothing gets done there. Now, I would disagree with you there. It started off seeming like she was just a sycophant who had been handpicked, but what she's basically saying is, where's the change? What? What? Hold you on. think that's what she's yeah. saying? Yeah. I don't get that. But that's what I got out of it. But didn't you stop the clip right before she said, and a follow-up, uh, why are you so awesome? <laughs> yes. Well, you know, the... the, 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 the 
people, this is what happens because the Democrats are horrible politicians. Uh, uh, the guy can't, this is, there could, there shouldn't, if there is ever a person who's supposed to be on board for Barack Obama, it is definitely this lady. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, and he has let her down and he has no answers for her except to go, you know, I'm I'm kind of maintaining the status quo. Aren't you enjoying that? Doesn't that get you? Now, the, the, the Democrats are getting out politicked. OK, they can't. Uh, their two biggest bills, their stimulus bill. Right. And their health care bill. They can't run on the health care bill. And why can't they run on either of those bills? Well, let's uh, let's get an analysis yeah, the strategy of no worked in the sense that it kept the stimulus too small, made it impossible to have a second stimulus. But the president and forced today forced them to build a health care bill entirely on the left. Right. Well, and it's it's kind of actually a, a Romney care bill. It's kind of the bill that Romney and Ted Kennedy negotiated in Massachusetts. We- that, so, that voice sounded tan. Was that John Boehner? No, that was not John Boehner. <laughs> no, it sounded... No, no. no. Uh, that was a guy... Anyway... That uh, was Chris Matthews, though, right? That was Chris Matthews. Didn't you, did you hear him missing the point in there? That he's like, he's saying, yeah, they screwed up that health care bill. They built it too much on the left. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. that's not what happened. It's the it's the Romney care. Like, yeah. it's a re- it's the, so the, the Democrats got out-politicked. What happened was uh, their stimulus bill got so screwed up because Barack Obama tried to compromise. He wanted to be a bipartisan guy. He wanted to get Republican support and votes for his stimulus bill. He wanted to get Republican votes and and support for his health care bill. And what they did was they watered down both of those bills until they were not as effective as they should be. And we ended up getting the Republican health care bill. And... Which Republicans refused to vote for? Which Republicans? Because, w- right, they wouldn't even vote for at that time. Well, because they were getting what they wanted anyway, and now they could still be seen as not being with Barack Obama. But the fatal flaw in Barack Obama and the Democrats is they've been running away from FDR since of since FDR. Right. And Barack Obama wants to be this bipartisan guy. And I've said this on the show a million times. Instead of reading FDR, he read Lincoln and he's trying to be this guy who brings people together, which is not what we need right now. We needed that in the 90s when we had good economic times. Right now, we need somebody who can delineate a true enemy and have a focused path of where he wants to take us. He needs to have a program. He shows up. He doesn't have a program that he's even trying to sell to this one. At least George Bush was going across trying to sell war and privatizing Social Security (laughs) and tax cuts for the rich. You knew where he stood. Barack Obama, nobody even knows what he's trying. You You don't don't. even know what he's trying to do anymore. But he still continues to try to work bipartisanly. And here is the problem with trying to work bipartisanly with Republicans because they see bipartisanship a little differently. Democrats see bipartisanship as they give up a little bit of something they want in order to compromise. And here's how Republicans see it. To us, bipartisanship is them being forced to agree with us after we have politically cleaned their clocks and beaten them. And that has to be what we're focused on. So when I when he first said that he now he said that in February of 2009, like the month after uh, Barack Obama was sworn in, and I was like, "What? How are you gonna clean their? They just cleaned your clock. What are you talking about? Uh You guys have been wiped out. Now here comes the Barack Obama and the progressive agenda. And son of a, if they didn't politically clean the Democrats' clock, they won the debate on the stimulus before it ever got out of the house. They won the debate on the health care before it even came up for a vote before they even had a town hall meeting about it. The Democrats got caught totally flat-footed. Uh, do you, now, Paul, a guy who plays a fake Republican, <laughs> do you see this ever getting any better? I don't know. I don't, I, you know, 
the, the problem is the, the, the Republicans, the way they fight is different. They fight unethically, but they win. Yes. So they, do you want to play that did. game? Do you want to throw ethics out the window to win? That's basically what the, what the, the Democrats, well, they don't have to do it unethically, but they have to, um, they just, they stick to their guns. Like they, yeah. they, whatever their, whatever you think about their principles, they, they stick to them. The Republicans. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, but the problem with the, with the Democrats is, you know, we like to think that they're, that they're incredibly progressive, but w- when it really comes down to a vote, they're as beholden to corporate America as the Republicans, maybe about 75% as much as the Republicans are. And that nothing is ever going to get done in this country until corporations stop dictating what policy is. Obama and Biden are trying to scold voters to the polls, and it's not going to work. Obama told Rolling Stone that it's inexcusable and irresponsible for Democratic voters not to turn out in droves November 2nd. Buck up, he said. And Biden said Democrats should stop whining and get out there and look at the alternatives. But Democratic voters, and for that matter, progressive and independent voters, aren't children who can be sent to their rooms without supper until Election Day. They're citizens, and many of them are disillusioned with the Obama administration and for good reason. The progressive base has repeatedly been kicked by the Obama administration from single-payer all the way to Afghanistan. Rank-and-file Democrats, as well as independents, can't point to enough tangible things the administration has done for them. Official unemployment, after all, stands at 9.6%. Foreclosures are rampant. And the banks got bailed out, and the CEOs on Wall Street got their big bonuses, but almost everyone else has gotten short shrift. The enthusiasm that was palpable two years ago to get rid of Bush and Cheney and to make history by electing Barack Obama simply no longer exists, and you can't recreate that enthusiasm by lecturing voters. You actually have to deliver for them. A year and a half ago, the Republican Party was reeling, still picking shrapnel out from the can of whoop-ass that had been opened up on them in the 2008 elections. It was time for some self-reflection. There's no question this has been a challenging time uh, for the GOP. It's time for new faces, new leadership to lead our party. We're bringing new ideas. You'll see a lot of uh, effort on our part uh, to be the, the party of new ideas. New ideas. Everything is on the table. Uh, spitballing here. How about something like, uh, how about something like this? Uh, we got a black guy too. You know, we're just spitballing here. <laughs> so the, 
The search for new ideas began in Northern Virginia in a well-respected think tank slash pizza place called Pytanzas. <laughs> of course, pie for pizza pie and Tanza for owner Tony Tanza. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but that was just the start. The Republicans held town hall meetings. They spoke to their constituents. They took donors to Hollywood lesbian bondage clubs. <laughs> they even started their own website. AmericaSpeakingOut.com, that's a um, website that the Republicans are, are using in the House of Representatives to try to get your ideas. Because seriously, they, they had nothing. They had nothing. <laughs> they were completely out of ideas. Well now, it's nearly two years later, crucial midterm elections around the corner, and House Republicans poised with a real chance to win huge. So they're ready to unveil the fruits of their labor. I give you. The 2010 Republican Pledge to Pytanza, I mean America. <laughs> Enjoy. We pledge to honor our families, traditional marriage and life. Real tort reform. Don't spend more than you take in. Stop out of control spending. Support our troops, fight the terrorists, stand by our friends, and protect our citizens. Whoa! Who are these? fresh-faced young guns in their bold new idea. Wait a minute, that's the same we heard before. Your, I think your fresh new ideas sound, if I'm not mistaken, your fresh new ideas sound slightly like, I'm sorry, did I say slightly? Exactly like your old ideas. Rain in the Washington DC red tape cut. Washington red tape. Act immediately to reduce spending. Have real reforms to reduce spending. Change the way we do business in Washington. Change business as usual in Washington. Make the tax cuts permanent. Make the existing tax cuts permanent. Health savings accounts that puts the patient firmly in control. Health savings accounts which will give families more control. Reduce the size of our government. Reducing the size of government. A smaller. A smaller. Less costly. Less costly. And more accountable. And more accountable for government, government in our nation's capital. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. This thing's not even a sequel, it's like a shot-by-shot -shot remake of your... I thought the pledge was you were humbled and gonna come back with fresh new ideas. Wasn't that the pledge? And the point we make in this, in this preamble uh, to our pledge uh, is that we are not gonna be any different than what we've been. I believe that is a promise you can keep. I, uh, so two years ago, just to get this straight, two years ago, America broke up with you because you had badly mistreated her. And so you disappear, do some soul searching, get your head together, and you come back rapping on our door, hat in hand, and you say, baby, I know you left me. But if we get back together, I pledge to you, I promise you, I will still try to your sister every chance I get. It's who I am, baby. It's who I am. Now, make up your mind, because I'm not going to ask you twice.
So let's presuppose for a moment that you actually enjoyed this show. Now, if that's true, please consider supporting it with a $5 monthly membership. I actually quit my job as a climate activist to pursue this show full-time because this is where I felt like my talents could best be put to use and I could have the biggest impact on the world. But I really need your support to keep going. I produce 10 shows a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule posting shows at least every third day. So if all that is worth 5 bucks a month or as little as $55 a year, a little discount for you, please consider signing up for a membership at bestoftheleft.com. Members even receive bonus audio and video content on top of the rest that doesn't make it into the final cut of the show. So please, again, check out the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. Okay, what I'm holding right here is something that shouldn't beggar belief, but it beggars belief. Look at this. What this is, is a letter to President Obama's energy secretary requesting funding from the energy department as part of the stimulus package. Funding that would, quote, employ 100 people over a three-year period. The person who signed it, the person who signed this letter asking for stimulus money to create 100 jobs is this guy. Well, the idea is not to grow government but to grow the economy, create jobs. Unfortunately, the stimulus package passed by the House fails on this count. Republican Congressman Dan Lundgren of California making it very clear last year that that darn stimulus package is not going to create any jobs. Then here's the same guy, Dan Lundgren, writing to the Energy Department a month after that tape that you just saw, one month later, asking for stimulus money to create jobs in his district. But wait, I thought you said the stimulus couldn't do that. Congressman Lundgren, like practically every other Republican in the country, has spent much, much of the last year trashing the stimulus package at every turn, attacking the stimulus as not only useless, not only something that won't create jobs, but as something that's even worse than useless, something that's harmful, harmful to the economy. If you pass this stimulus, the economy will be worse off than if you don't pass this stimulus. The stimulus is hurting the country's economy. That's what Republicans have been saying in public and then proving in private that they don't actually believe. That letter that I just read was posted online today by the Wall Street Journal, which has found yet another treasure trove of Republicans trying to run against the Obama record by talking all sorts of smack about the Obama record, but then proving they don't actually believe all that smack that they've been talking. Take Republican Congressman Doug Lamborn of Colorado. Last year, Congressman Lamborn voted against the stimulus bill, and he voted against it with glee and an exclamation point, saying, quote, this spending bill is a sorry substitute for a comprehensive economic stimulus plan. It will actually weaken our nation's long-term economic growth. 12 days later, 12 days later, Congressman Lamborn writes to the Obama administration asking for stimulus funds for projects in his district, saying, quote, these projects will create jobs. The jobs, he wrote, will provide significant stimulus to our state and national economy. That was 12 days after he says the stimulus will weaken our nation's long-term economic growth. Also signing on to that letter, requesting stimulus funds for projects to create jobs, was Republican Congressman Mike Kaufman of Colorado, the same Mike Kaufman who said this about the stimulus one month prior. The American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of 2009 is a massive and wasteful government spending bill that will not stimulate 
our economy, but will recklessly plunge our nation deeper and deeper into debt. But please, Obama administration, may I please have some of that awful, harmful money so I can bring jobs to my district? Because I think it'll help. Republican Congressman Lynn Westmoreland of Georgia blasted the stimulus as, quote, unnecessary spending that won't create jobs. Remember that won't create jobs part of it. Because he then wrote to the Energy Department asking for stimulus funds for a research lab in his district. He wrote, quote, the research laboratory would employ 25 to 50 scientists and technicians with secondary employment of up to 400 people. So says the guy who says it wouldn't create any jobs. Republican Congressman Jack Kingston joined Mr. Westmoreland in pleading for that stimulus money to create jobs in his district in Georgia. That would be uh, this Jack Kingston. Mr. President, where's the stimulus package? Where are the jobs? This is not the change the folks in Coffee County, Georgia can use. They need jobs. They need jobs. They don't need that stimulus that won't provide jobs. So please, can I have some stimulus money so I can get jobs for my district? Because I think it'll work. Remember Republican Congressman Zach Womp of Tennessee? When Zach Womp wasn't busy dodging questions about his time living at C Street, Zach Womp was busy inveighing against that wasteful, good-for-nothing, irresponsible, irresponsible Democratic stimulus bill. It does many, many things that are not stimulating, so they shouldn't call this a stimulus bill. The vast majority of this is just social spending. It's, move, it's a transfer payment from one taxpayer over to other people. Social engineering, transfer of wealth, it is anything but stimulus, it is not going to create jobs. After Zach Womp said that, he wrote this to the Energy Department, asking for those horrible, terrible, no good, very bad stimulus funds, writing specifically that he wanted the money to, quote, create about 200 manufacturing jobs in Georgia and 120 in Tennessee. It will create more than a thousand total jobs when the direct jobs and indirect jobs created by this proposal are added together because it's so stimulative. Also voting against the stimulus and trashing it publicly was Republican Congressman Michael Turner of Ohio, who last month said, quote, more Americans believe Elvis is alive than those that believe stimulus created jobs. <laughs> well, put Mr. Turner in the second category, because here he is asking for stimulus money for a, quote, project that will create and retain highly skilled jobs that only people who would believe in Elvis would believe would be real jobs? If you remember the stimulus debate at all, and I know it was a long time ago, you will recall lots of doomsday rhetoric about it. The bill before us is a trillion dollar mistake that will harm working families like Greg's, deprive them of hope, and damage our already recessed economy. A few months after trashing the stimulus, Republican Congressman Thaddeus McCotter undercut his own credibility rather dramatically by asking for that horrible bad stimulus funding, quote, to invest in vital homegrown technologies and job creation. Ditto Republican Senator Sam Brownback of Texas. The bill that is in front of us uh, I think is neither prudent nor responsible. I don't think it's going to get us out of the, the hole that we're in. Uh, I think it just digs a hole deeper. It's spending a lot of money, and it's not going to stimulate the economy. It's not going to stimulate the economy. I think I said Texas before. Sam Brownback, of course, of Kansas. Uh, Senator Brownback then asked the Energy Department for a piece of that unstimulative will dig us into a deeper hole money. He said, quote, funding for this project will support job creation in the near term. Job creation by that thing that's not going to create jobs. Republicans continue to prove over and over again that they are not at all embarrassed by stuff like this. 
Democrats, on the other hand, are proving themselves yet again to be afraid of their own shadows. Democrats think they're going to get beaten in this year's election, so they're essentially refusing to campaign. That's a surefire way to win. What could they campaign on? Well, Republicans apparently think that Democrats could be campaigning on reforming the health care system in this country because a ton of the stuff that Democrats did in the health reform bill, Republicans just put in their new pledge to America. And they are now running on that as if it is their own record and what they want to do, as if they're not talking all sorts of smack about health reform and how it needs to be repealed. They are running on those ideas because they think the American people will like those ideas. Democrats, on the other hand, actually implemented those ideas and they're refusing to run on them. And with the stimulus, it is the exact same thing. Republicans are trying to bring home to their constituents all of the economic benefits of the stimulus plan, all of the jobs that it will create, while talking all sorts of smack about the stimulus, saying it doesn't work, saying it's a waste. They're trying to take credit for the fact that it does work. Republicans have no problem running on the Democrats' record, but Democrats apparently will not. As we said on this show last night, Democrats have a weird inferiority complex when it comes to campaigning. They like their own ideas better, but they like the way that Republicans run for office better. Well, the way that Republicans are running for office this year is by running on the Democratic policy achievements of this year. Democrats, if you don't believe in yourself enough to do that, just copy what the Republicans are doing because they're running on your record. Hi, Jay. It's Jill from Potsdam, New York. Um, I wanted to tell you that I've been listening to your podcast now for about a year and a half, and I started listening just because you had excerpts of The Daily Show and The Colbert Report, which are usually on too late for me to watch, or they're on when I'm at work. But uh, you grabbed me more with the uh, the political content, and uh, it was very interesting to me, and it's a nice balance to a lot of the other stuff that I hear all day. I wanted to tell your listeners that I've been a public radio subscriber for decades, and so I sent in my $55 to support your show because I really believe in what you're doing, and I tell all my friends about it. Thanks very much. Keep doing the good work. Hi, uh, hi, Jay. Thanks so much for your show. My name is Brett Hendrickson. I'm calling from Belleville, Illinois. Um, I'm a Presbyterian minister and uh, have been a leftist for a long time. I just started listening to your podcast on the show about repealing uh, Prop 8, and I was really excited about it. And there was a lot of good information in there that I thought I could share with my parishioners as uh, we try to expand, um, you know, the civil rights in this country for all people in and out of the church. Uh, of course, the second show I heard was the one about religion that you had on, and, um, you know, I was saddened, I guess, by how many of my co-religionists are intolerant and, and hurtful. Uh, but I was also saddened that, um, you know, I've known for a long time that all the cool leftists are atheists, um, but I was saddened that you didn't have someone uh, from the leftist perspective who was also a believer on the show to sort of uh, add some depth and some uh, nuance to some of the discussions. Um, anyway, something to consider the next time you cover religion. That uh, you know, uh, there are a lot of people in this in this uh, in this country that are are looking out for human rights, for tolerance, uh, for civil rights, and for progress. Uh, and and not all of them are uh, anti-religion. 
So anyway, keep up the good work. I'm really glad I found your podcast, and I look forward to listening to more of it. Hi, Jay. This is Ron calling from Chicago, Illinois, and I just love the Best of the Left podcast. I was turned on to your podcast from a coworker of mine, and ever since... He let me listen to the very first episode. I've just been hooked, you know, look, checking for your podcast every couple of days and, you know, keeping, uh, you know, myself abreast of all the current news, you know, as I don't have time to, you know, go through all the news cycles day in and day out of, you know, um, CNN or MSNBC. And, you know, sometimes I check out Fox just to see what, you know, what the far right is saying. And, you know, it's, you know, very good to just be able to get everything that I need in, you know, one centralized area. So thank you. You're doing a good job. Keep up the good work. Thanks for listening, everyone. And of course, thanks to everyone who called in. If you would like to call in, leave a comment, question, or activist call to action to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. I did want to respond just kind of quickly to uh, to the Minister Brett who who called in asking for more kind of positive uh, positive clips about religion. And you know, Brett, you're a new listener, and you know, so I, I haven't talked about religion on the show uh, much recently. Um, so every once in a while I, I refresh the audience with my stance on all this. First of all, you know, I played the, the clips I do on religion, not at all intending to be offensive, but I do play them understanding that some people will be offended. Just understand, you know, that's not why I play them. You know, my personal background is I'm an atheist and so, you know, I don't, really even bother getting into the arguments about whether religion has done more harm than good in the world and so on and so on. I just don't believe it's true. You know, I just fundamentally don't. And since this show reflects my own beliefs, that's what's going to end up on the show. And unfortunately, that's just the way it is. And uh, kind of a related story, uh, listener John wrote in an email, you know, pretty recently, a couple weeks ago, warning me kind of, he said, uh, hey, I love Common Sense with Dan Carlin, but I got to warn you, that's not a leftist program. You know, he's more libertarian. You know, so what is this show? Is this the best of the left or is it the best of the people that Jay thinks are smart? And so I wrote him back and I said, well, basically, you know, it's a good way to put it. It actually is more like the best of the people Jay thinks are smart because I'm the editor and if I wasn't the one deciding who qualifies as being a, a part of the best of the left, then who would? Who would be deciding what's the best? Who would be deciding what left even means? I mean, someone has to decide, and that's me. And when it comes to religion, I, I'm, I'm not religious, so that's not what's going to end up in the show. It's, you know, so I absolutely love people like Brett who are, you know, hey, we're religious. We're doing good things. We're out there working with you. And and I'm completely in favor. You know, I worked for a couple of years on climate change. And we, you know, part of the whole idea of organizing for change is building coalitions. And so I'm all about building coalitions. And we built coalitions with, uh, you know, interfaith alliances 
every single day. That was, you know, a huge, huge part of the people we worked with. So in terms of liberals getting together and, you know, marching together and lots of different people who have lots of different ideas about things and, uh, you know, you can find your common ground and work towards those goals, I'm totally in favor of it. But in terms of promoting content that actively promotes religion, this just isn't the show for it. This is the first time this conversation has come up actually since the the new call-in line. And so I think this is a better opportunity than I've ever had to have you guys actually chime in on this conversation. I would, I would really genuinely love to hear what you have uh, to say about it. So again, comments, questions, calls to action, the number to call 206-202-3410. Now it is a brand new month as we do every month. I want to ask you to go over to Podcast Alley and vote for the show. Getting a progressive podcast up into the top 10 list uh, is, you know, great for exposure and, uh, you know, helping spread the word of progressive ideas. So head over to uh, podcastalley.com, vote for Best of the Left, The Young Turks, and Blast the Right. All three of those shows are uh, are up there in the top 10 list every month, just about. Thanks entirely to you guys. You know, like we can't get ourselves there. It, it's all about you. So if you take the, you know, 30, 45 seconds to do that, it would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Now, I just want to thank a couple of members. Rich S. signed up for a monthly membership back on July 8th and has stuck with the show since then. And Nicole R. signed up pretty recently uh, on uh, September 1st and went ahead and signed up for a year in advance. Thanks very, very much to Nicole and Rich for uh, you know signing up to support the show. Members and donors are the absolute backbone of what keeps the show going. I couldn't do it without you, so I hope you uh, go to bed every night with a warm, fuzzy feeling knowing that you're helping make this show possible. Please continue to spread the word about the show, each and every one of you. Uh, get online and connect up with the show and spread the word about it online. Join up with us on Facebook and Twitter. Details about the show itself, including links to sources and music used in this and every episode, of course, are listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 10 times a month, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor Who take you out in the open door This is not my life It's just a fire